And while you're being seated, if you would turn in your copy of the Scriptures to Acts chapter 2. You have an outline on the back of uh, your bulletin if you want to make use of that. It's uh, full of typos. Um, Point one, there's two ends in point one. uh, And the apostles did not, even though it says they applied their preaching to the present circumstances of their heaters, it was to their hearers. Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke, the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the path of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would one that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ that he that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out uh, this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. 
For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Let's pray. Father, as we have read this lengthy passage of Scripture, so I pray that you would help us to remember that uh, these are not simply words written on a page, but it is the very Word of God. As someone has said, it is as if God has opened up heaven and spoken to us directly. So I pray that you would give us uh, suitable attention to it, being that it is your word. And I pray that we would submit to it, and that you would help us by your Spirit to obey it. I ask in Jesus' name, Amen. After 2,000 years of Christianity, you would think that... Christians would begin to coalesce in their beliefs. But uh, rather than coalescing, uh, it seems that denominations are beginning more and more to split apart. Uh, There's no consensus in theology across the spectrum. And you would think that we would want this consensus, especially as culture has united and uh, seeks to uh, marginalize uh, Christians. You would think that we would want to put up this united front rather than splintering into different factions. One such area of disagreement, uh, even amongst Protestants, involves our presentation of our theology uh, through the medium of preaching. Uh, There are new ways that people are viewing uh, how the Word should be preached. Uh, Some say that it should be that it should be dramatically uh, portrayed before people through, through drama. Other people say that uh, preaching uh, must first of all, second of all, and third, and third of all, if that's the right way of putting it, uh, be relational and emphatic and practical. That sin should be, should be de-emphasized and strategically placed later in the ministry of the people. In fact, it, uh, unbelievably, I saw this in a PCA seminary, not at, not at Westminster, but uh, the first seminary that I went to right out of um, out of college was Knox Seminary, and we had a homiletics professor, and he was trying to tell us that we shouldn't be. Um, preaching sin first of all and he used an example there was a guy named Jay Stoms and Jay has gone on to be a, a PCA pastor I think in the um, in the uh, northwest uh, somewhere but he was using our homiletics professor was using Jay and he would say well I know theologically Jay is a sinner but I would never tell Jay that he's a sinner in fact what I would say is Jay come to God so he can use you um, because you have so much potential for God. Well, 
um, several of the students marched right across the street and told the faculty and the, the homiletics professor was gone the next day. And um, and thankfully the, the, the faculty took that stand right away. But I, it's, it's still bewildering to me that uh, in a PCA seminary that that kind of preaching, a de-emphasis of sin, a hiding away of sin was being taught. Um, we always need to be recalibrating. We always need to be saying what is the right way? What is the truth? And we always need to be going back to scriptures. Remember the Bereans. They were more noble than the rest because they searched the scriptures intently to see if what Paul was saying was in fact true. In in regards to preaching and what what should be the emphasis on our preaching, what should be our method, we need to ask, How did the apostles preach? And so I want to look at that this morning. I want us to re-examine here in this sermon by Peter on the day of Pentecost and look and see what was their method, what did they emphasize. The first thing we see right out of the blocks as Peter begins his sermon is that he rooted his preaching in the scriptures and I say the apostles because Peter was standing there verse 14 with the other 11 which uh, going back to Mattathias in chapter 1 it looks like Peter plus the 11 so there's 12 so it looks like Mattathias indeed was uh, was supposed to be an apostle um But here they are. Peter is the one preaching, but all the other apostles are standing with him. And Peter, when he stood up to preach, he rooted his preaching in Scripture. Verses 14 through 16. Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But rather, here's what's happening. This is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in these last days it shall be, God declares. And he goes on and quotes Peter, uh, quotes the apostle, I mean quotes the prophet Joel. But he is, he lets it be known that it is God who is doing the declaring. It is God who is speaking through Joel. And in quoting Joel, he doesn't just quote Joel in a, as a passing reference. He's not simply using Joel as a proof text for his own wisdom. In other words, Peter doesn't have in mind what he's going to say. And he's, he's not thinking, I'm going to wow him with, with my wisdom and with my eloquence. But he takes him to the scriptures. He gleans his wisdom for his sermon from the scriptures. And he is say, he's not saying, let me tell you what's happening. 
as if he was going to give an explanation for why these Christians are speaking in tongues and why there was this sound of rushing wind. But rather, he is clear to say, let me tell you what God is telling us is happening. Verse 17, In the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Peter knows that it is important that when he stands up to preach, that his, his hearers know that they are hearing God's voice and not simply his own. I have said this before, I don't like getting up in front of people and opening my mouth. I despise public speaking. That's why Jim Haggard comes up and does the announcements. If I can get out of as much of, of public speaking as I can, I will do it. In fact, you've heard me give the announcements. I don't do a very good job at it. But I spend the week looking at God's Word and asking, what is God saying? And I crawl into this pulpit on Sunday morning and open God's Word. And I cannot keep my mouth shut. Because I have an awareness that what I am saying is not my wisdom, but it is God's Word. I am not giving my opinion, but I am endeavoring to tell you this is what God says in His Word. I, I am not free from error. I absolutely recognize that. And I absolutely despise asking others to inconvenience themselves. I hate asking for volunteers. But let me tell you, I expect you to make whatever life changes that you need to make and then change even the entire direction of your life if I am faithfully and truthfully proclaiming God's Word and your life is out of line with it. My authority is not my wisdom. It is God's Word. I cannot stand in this pulpit and say anything of value to you if I did not believe that this is the very Word of God to mankind. Even as I am standing in this pulpit preaching, there are preachers across this city, across this state, across this nation who are standing up and, and preaching, and yet they don't believe God's Word is God's Word. And they spew their self-righteous wisdom. That is the height of arrogance. The only thing that you should hear from me that is of value to you must be, in some sense, connected to the phrase, Thus says the Lord. Peter recognized that. He rooted his preaching in God's Word. 
me make an application to that for your daily lives. It is very important for you not simply to read Scripture every day, but to hear God's voice. And there's no... I'm not making a distinction between Scripture and God's voice. I'm simply trying to underscore that Scripture is God's Word. And you must hear it regularly. I know that it is not my preaching that will change anybody's life. If you walk out of here different than when you came in here, it is not because of my preaching. Rather, it is God's Spirit using His Word as it is faithfully proclaimed. Let me try and get at this a little differently. In terms of how important it is, why it is important for you to hear God's Word daily. Uh, you're right. Most of you recognize that I've lost a little weight, over 45 pounds, uh, to be exact. Um, it's not because I'm on a diet. I've tried dieting. I couldn't do it. Um, it's because I, I found, well, the doctors found that I have diabetes, and so I had to cut out my sugars and. Uh, cut off sugars and, and carbs and so I started doing this and you wouldn't believe it I've got this energy that I hadn't had in, a, in, in several years and so now I'm out working in the yard I'm playing some basketball I'm just, I've got all this uh, energy and that's helping me lose weight and, and, it's, and it's a lifestyle change if I had been it, it's the easiest thing I've ever done and I'm not dieting Uh, It's a a lifestyle change. But the reason I'm telling you this is even though I've made a big change in my life, it is simply a self-discipline. It's not an inward transformational spiritual change in my life. God is the only one who can transform a person inwardly. I was thinking of Romans chapter 12 in this regard. The Apostle Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Don't be, or do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, by, the, by testing that you may discern what is the will of God, what is His good, what is, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Stumbling through that, I memorized that in the NIV, and it's hard to read it in the uh, English Standard Version. You can't be transformed, you can't be renewed inwardly by simply following some self disciplines. God is the only one who can do that. And you need to read His Word to be renewed, to be transformed, to be changed, to become more like Jesus every day. And our hearts are always straying. We need to hear from God. We need to grow in our faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of Christ.
You need to hear from God each day. You need to meditate on God's Word throughout the day. So, God has spoken. I ask this not simply rhetorically. I ask it with a point because I'm aiming at your heart. God has spoken. Are you listening to Him? Are you opening up His Word and spending time in it? Not trying to lay a guilt trip on you. You're just as saved. You are just as forgiven as if you had, uh, if you've not read the Bible in the last month or so. You not reading the Bible doesn't take away your salvation. But because you belong to God, you need to hear from Him. The apostles rooted their preaching in the Word of God. Um, Not only in Joel, but they quote from uh, Psalm 110, Psalm 16 as well. Um, Secondly, the apostles centered their preaching on Jesus Christ. Uh, I've mentioned this before, I'll mention it again. Uh, I think it was the Christmas of 2006, as we're moving into 2007. I picked up this little magazine, it was from Joel Osteen, had written an article, Seven Ways to Help You Be Successful in 2007. So I pick it up and I read it. Jesus Christ was not mentioned throughout the entire article. Um... Watch out for him and others like him. My mother-in-law gets guideposts when we're up there. I read the guidepost and very little about Jesus Christ, if at all. Um, Watch out. It is Jesus Christ who changes us. And also... um, Oh, and I guess I should... I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Verses 22 through 28... I should refer you to the scriptures. Verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested uh, uh, to you by God with mighty works and wonders. And he goes on throughout this passage and is talking about Jesus Christ. Um, Jesus is the focus of our faith. You can't. If you're just simply reading the Bible and trying to be changed by obeying its commands, that's legalism. We just finished with the book of Galatians. The Judaizers were reading the Bible, but they were missing Christ. But Peter's preaching was focused. It, it honed in on Christ. Verse 22... Oh, I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself again. Um, here's what's happening. When they began speaking in tongues, the Holy Spirit's being poured out. The people think that they are that the Christians are drunk. Peter says they're not drunk, as you suppose. But the 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 uh, Jews, for um, they believed that prophecy had ceased with uh, with Malachi's book. Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament. When, when he wrote his book, it's like the prophets went away. And prophecy had ceased. And there had been four, I mean, 400 years uh, without hearing from God's prophets. And the 
the Jews expected that when the Messiah comes, that God's Spirit would once again be poured out and prophecy would begin again. And in fact, one of the reasons they had this expectation is because of Joel. Joel says, in the last days I'm going to pour out my spirit. People are going to be prophesying, um, sons and daughters prophesying. Young men will see visions, old men shall dream dreams. Even on my servants, male and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. In fact, he concludes verse 21, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And the Lord here, uh, they were expecting the Messiah to come. And so what Peter's saying is the Spirit has been poured out because the Messiah has come. And he goes on and he says, And this Messiah is Jesus of Nazareth. He was attested to by God Himself through the miracles that Jesus wrought. Verse 22. He was crucified in accordance with God's plan. Verse 23. I want to pause on verse 23 because it says this Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan. In the Greek it literally says according to the fixed will and foreknowledge of God you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. So here the, the Jews, they killed Jesus. But, Je- but Peter is saying it happened in accordance with the fixed will. Or as it says here, the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. It was not a surprise to God that he was put on the cross. It was his plan. The Jews acted wickedly by putting him on the cross. God had willed it. You say, well, how does that work? God has predestinated it and and, uh, wicked people did it? Yes. How it works out is a mystery. God is sovereign. And we are responsible. We are free moral creatures, and God is sovereign. His sovereignty has the preeminence. The reason why we act is because He has foreordained. How it works out, I don't know. God is God. You try and fit the infinite God into your pea brain, your brain will explode before you figure out what He is doing. If you could figure out what he was doing, then you would be God. I've often thought, well, when we get to eternity, uh, we'll figure all these things out. I'm of a different opinion. I think God is so great that even with our glorified bodies and even with an infinity to search him out and, and get to know more and more about him, there are still things that will be beyond our grasp. Maybe even the relationship between God's sovereignty and our responsibility will still be a mystery. Suffice it to say that it is clear here in this verse Peter goes on to say that Jesus in verses 24 through 36 was resurrected, he was exalted, and that he is ruling and reigning. I wish we had time to look at more in more detail at that. Um, Peter 
is pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ. The focus of his sermon is Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He could have convinced them that they were guilty of putting God's Messiah on the cross and left it there. Uh, But what Peter is aiming at is not simply piling on the guilt. He is looking at them coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus whom he is preaching is Jesus... As Peter is making his proclamation, the Lord Jesus is holding himself out to these Jews who had put him on the cross. And he is offering himself to them as his Savior. It's not simply enough for us to get convicted. We we take our faith and we cast it into the Lord Jesus. He's the object of our faith. This uh, fellow named Gooding, I found this quote and I thought it was so on point that I wanted to share it with you. In talking about the Jews, they had murdered God's Son, God was offering them His Spirit. They had crucified the second person of the Trinity, He was offering them the third person of the Trinity. They had thrown God's Son out of the vineyard in hope of inheriting the vineyard themselves. Now He was inviting them to receive God's Spirit not just into their vineyard but into their very hearts to be their undying life to be the earnest and guarantee of an infinite imperishable inheritance. In other words... Peter in proclaiming Christ. Peter in proclaiming that Jesus is the resurrected, ascended, ruling and reigning Lord. He's just not trying to convict them of their sin. He is offering them the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Christianity is Christ. Thirdly, the apostles applied their preaching to the present circumstances of their hearers. Verses 32 and 33. This Jesus God raised up, and we are all witnesses of this fact. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. In other words, He's taking this event, this pouring out of the Spirit, and He's applying it um, to their circumstances, to their present circumstances. You know, the best sermons I've ever written are when I take the passage of Scripture on a big piece of paper and I start writing questions around it. Just in questions that I think that you would be asking if you read this passage. Um, and, and, I, and so I start with those questions. Um, in other words, it's, it's always tempting... for me to start out and tell you what questions you should be asking and there's a disconnect right from the beginning but when I am able to find the questions that you're asking and that you would typically ask of the passage 
that transition becomes much easier. That's what Peter's doing. He is... He's taking this event. Um, the Holy Spirit's been poured out. They're speaking with tongues. They're saying, what's going on here? Peter takes the question that they are asking. And he takes that as his point of departure for the sermon. The reason why I'm bringing this up is because the best tool we have for evangelism is a listening ear. People turn us off as Christians when we start preaching at them. When we start telling them what they should believe without first finding out what they believe and finding out where their struggles are, finding out what questions that they are asking. It's always, always better to take your point of departure where the person is and bring the Scriptures to them rather than trying to kick an, uh, drag an unconverted person kicking and screaming to the Scriptures. Lastly, the apostles aimed their preaching at the heart. Verses 36 and 37. This is bold. I have yet to be this bold ever in the pulpit. The Apostle Peter says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made Him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. That is bold preaching. How did the people respond? Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, What shall we do? Let me ask you, how often do you experience this kind of conviction when you sit down in front of God's Word or when you hear it proclaimed? This, this experience of being cut to the heart. The Bible in Ephesians chapter 6 is called the sword of the Spirit. In Hebrews chapter 4, we read, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It even judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of whom we must give account. The reason... Peter's preaching cut them to the heart is because he was applying God's word and he was aiming his word at their hearts. And say, well, I rarely am cut to the heart or I don't know if I've ever been cut to the heart. If you're not being cut to the heart, there could be a number of reasons, two that I came up with, is that you believe you have some inherent goodness. Uh, in yourself and um, you don't need God's word or maybe even more to the point pride you you've, you uh, have, have the walls of protection the walls of pride that protect you you're willing to be called a sinner but only to a point and I've uh, done a fair amount of crisis marriage counseling um and uh, I'm thinking only of examples at my last church. Um, and the husband will say things like, I have failed. 
I am a failure. But she's the biggest failure. (laughs) She's the bigger failure. And the wife will be saying, I have failed. I have messed up. I have been difficult to live with. But I've not been as difficult as him. And what they, they end up giving up their marriage. They end up giving up their relationship, their, the closeness of their relationship with their children. And they end up giving up heaven itself. Their repentance they will allow to only go so far. Uh, I've gone longer than I wanted. There's this passage. I didn't look it up because it only came to me a few minutes ago as I was preaching. I think it's in Second Kings chapter 3. And the reason why Second Kings is on my mind is because we've been in the, um, in the Sunday school class with the... Um, third through fifth grade in Second Kings with the life of Elijah. But I think it's in Second Kings three. The um, Israelites attacked the Moabites and God said, I want you to uh, throw rocks on every on every field, I want you to cut down every tree, I want you to stop up every spring, I want you to completely destroy the entire land of the Moabites, and I want you to destroy every fortified city. God gave them victory, they went and they stopped they threw stones on every field they stopped up every spring they cut down every good tree they attacked and defeated every fortified city and they came to the last city and they were they were just about to overtake it and the king of the city came out and uh, sacrificed his son the Moabite king came out and sacrificed his son on the the, the wall of the city the, the Moabites in the city rallied around their king if he's willing to do this then God the Moabite God is going to come to our aid and they rallied and they began fighting harder and Israel because of the fight gave up and went back home they were 95% obedient to God's commands and then the story ends there and you're left with their 95% obedience with that one city left untaken was really complete disobedience. When it comes to repentance, your repentance must be wholehearted. It must be from the heart. It must be a cutting of your heart by God's Word. I recognize this is something that you cannot generate of your own. God is the one who grants repentance. But let me urge you. Go to God. If there are those areas that you are exercising 95% repentance, it's just about like saying, I'm a failure, but not as bad as so and so. It is not true repentance the Lord Jesus stands with his arms wide open he says come to me all you who are weary and who are heavy laden the Israelites whom Peter has just said crucified the Messiah 
several thousand of them. Jesus opened his arms to them and received them as his own. Come to him. Don't hide yourself from him. Don't hide your sins from him. Expose your sin to him. Expose your sin to his word. That he might cut it out of your life by his grace. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we come to you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that um, your word exposes us to your commands. But even more than that, exposes us to the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that you would give us grace to follow him. I pray that you would give us grace to hold back nothing. I pray you would give us grace not to hide our sin from you, but to bear it before you, to to expose it to your word, that our hearts might be cut in true repentance that results in ourselves fleeing to the Lord Jesus Christ as the object of our faith. I ask in His name. Amen.